0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to yet another edition of Open Run here at War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined once again with my man, my fellow co-host, Josh Hicks. How you doing, man?
1: Glad basketball's back, as always, my brother. Everything's well. Same for you.
0: Yes, indeed. Everything's going well for me, man. I can't complain. Opening week is here, you know, still in effect. A lot of big-time games and matchups have gone down, and uh, we're going to take out the next hour or so to discuss two teams in the Eastern Conference who have struggled to find their footing through the first few games of the year after reaching the playoffs a year ago, while also taking some time to shed light on a team from the West who are seeking to ascend upward after pushing one of the game's top squads in round one a year ago following their run in the play-in tournament. But first and foremost, I want to start with one of those two Eastern Conference teams, and of course, with the first one being the hometown Chicago Bulls entering Monday evening showdown against the Boston Celtics at the United Center, having lost two straight games after taking home a thrilling 116-108 to win in the season opener against the Miami Heat, led behind the stellar play of guard Ayo Desumu and All-Star wing DeMar DeRozan, who scored 19 of his game-high 37 points in the third quarter to help the Bulls take control. On night one in route to the dub without Zach Levine, who missed the first two games of the year due to managing his left knee that he had surgery on during the summer. With one of their losses coming at the hands of the new and improved Central Division for Cleveland Cavaliers, is Donovan Mitchell poured in a near triple-double with 32 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists to play the role of spoiler, guiding the Cavs to a 32-point victory against the Bulls in their home opener at the Madhouse on Madison. This past weekend. Through three games, Josh, the Bulls stand this season among the middle of the pack in defensive efficiency, ranking 16th in that category after giving up nearly 112 points per 100 possessions, all the while ranking second to last among all NBA teams in three-point shooting percentage within that time span as the Bulls have shot under 30 percent from beyond the arc to start the year in spite of being able to generate their fair share of open looks from downtown. So I got to ask you straight up, Josh. Let's get right into it. Cut to the chase. What do you think has led to the Bulls' slow start out of the gate, man? This was a team that, you know, as we know, we had high expectations for, even though the East is much more improved than a season ago. Philadelphia got better. Miami got better. A lot of other teams have gotten better as well. It's not going to be an easy game or night in general throughout the 82-game slate. What was led to the slow start, man?
1: Effort. That's that's what it boils down to. Effort on both ends of the floor. You have um, the reality is the Bulls are playing like I think like like I, you mentioned before the show, like post All Star uh, of the Bulls last year defensively when they lost Lonzo Ball, they, they act like they forgot how to defend in some cases. And the reality of it is you got to obviously have the most effort. That's probably the most effort you got to put in when it comes to defending on the defensive end of of the court. But also the reality is, too, is they don't fully understand their roles as of yet or how to exploit those roles that they have. More specifically, I'm talking about Patrick Williams yet. He hasn't arrived yet. That's just the reality. And it's going to take some time for him to get his stuff together over time because, like you said, this is his first time uh, playing high-quality minutes since, what, three or four games of last season and previous years before he's been dealing with injuries every year. So this is, like, his first time going to a full offseason. He's trying to get some rust off him. It's going to take some time to figure out the niche that's going to keep him on the floor. But the reality of that situation, too, is that niche may not be in the starting lineup because, as you can see, when uh, he, he started all three games. And each of these three games, his minutes have dwindled each game. And on top of that, he's been in scenarios where, yeah, he's been playing within the starting lineup. But even in the second, even when he plays in the second unit, it's like he's trying to figure out what to do when he does get the ball. Should he pass? Should he shoot? Should be aggressive? He's trying to play within the flow of the game, but sometimes you got to be able to dictate what type of flow you want the game to be in based on who you're playing with. He hasn't found that middle ground yet. And it's showing, in every time he steps on the court, and even defensively too, indecisiveness on pick and rolls, indecisiveness on how to, on how far to hedge, when not to hedge, and even sometimes when it comes to trailing players, I don't know how many times I watched Patrick Williams get beat on a peel, on a down screen, getting peeled into the paint, when he and he's trailing behind because the I'm dude. Glad you
0: brought that up.
1: Cause yeah, because dude doesn't know how to cut that off or stay close to man, enough to the man where you don't get beat that way. So it's a lot of mechanics that he's still learning and honestly, in a lot of ways, still playing like a rookie. And respectfully so, yes, he's had injuries the previous, uh, previous few years he's been here. He hasn't fully had enough experience on the court with these players in order to figure out how to play per se. But these are things that he should be able to get, he should be getting better with overtime. And if it does not improve past this point, you really have to start questioning in a lot of ways, what is Patrick Williams' role really going to be? Because it can't be continuing start starting lineup if it means he's going to be playing less minutes in that first unit in the first place. And he's not going to do anything within that first unit of offense anyways. Like, you got to figure out what his role is going to be. And I think that's part of where the slowness is coming in on his end and combined with the other things that we know last year were problems, which especially on the defensive end.
0: I'm glad you brought up Patrick Williams' defensive struggle because it's a play in particular I could point out, to as we're recording this at the top of the week, where I saw this evening where it was a play where Al Horford had the ball at the top of the key. And he's operating off a dribble handoff to Derek White, and off of a down screen, Jason Tatum is coming, actually, he's coming off of a screen on the wing, and he's cutting inside the reel, and Patrick Williams is trailing him, but I don't blame all of that on Pat, even though he was trailing him, and that's typical of Pat, it was no help, and it was no communication, Yep. and that's one of my biggest issues with this team, man, and that's something that I have in my notes to touch upon, but first and foremost, what I want to get into is on the offensive end. It's a lack of ball movement with this team. The Bulls are only averaging, what, 20.3 assists per game, which is the fifth worst mark in the league right now among all teams currently in the league. Prior to the start of the year, we know that Billy Donovan was stressing an importance on moving the ball and moving away from the isolation game. DeMar DeRozan is great as he is in isolation, like using that when needed, but not at all times. You saw them depending a lot upon DeMar through the first few games, particularly in that game against Washington, the second game of the year, a lot to bail them out when that offense was stagnant. More of that has occurred far too often as of late, and that's yep. got to stop. You got to move the ball around. You got to spread the wealth. They're not doing that enough. Another thing is the lack of three-point shooting, as I spoke about. This has been arguably the biggest issue besides the defensive end on the young season as far as for the Bulls shoot 29.3% from downtown. Only the Lakers have shot a worse percentage. You're generating these open looks. At the end of the day, you got to knock them down. You sure as hell got to knock them down when you're getting off the slow starts in games and you find yourself trailing by double digits. There's been far too many times that's happened. And their failure to convert these looks is digging themselves in even deeper holes. Uh, uh, my, My third point is you brought up with the defense. Failure to defend the paint and locate the shooters. You know, we talked about that in the spaces that we had with Cal after the season opened against Miami, where there have been far too many times in games where the Bulls have had defensive rotations be a step too slow, defensive effort at the point of attack, leaving a lot to be desired. And, you know, there are far too many mishaps when shooters on the opposing end are getting way too many open looks as a result of it. You know, the Bulls finished last season. I got the notes here. They were ranked 22nd in defensive rating. And among the middle of the pack in points allowed, giving up an average of 112 points per game. they already giving up 112 points per 100 possessions right now. And that's basically been the same defense that showed up a season ago following the All-Star break as we were talking about prior to the show and recording this. And while it's obvious that the presence of Lonzo Ball is missed, guys got to do a better job of talking. Guys got to do a better job of helping one another. Even though Patrick was trailing on that screen that I talked about, There was no help inside the paint. And Jason Tatum is able to just, you know, get free easily and just walk in for a dunk. That can't happen, especially when you're trying to make it to -to back-to-back playoff appearances in an Eastern Conference where the margin for error is small. And I'm going to tell you how small the margin of error is. You had a game against Washington where you got off to a pretty nice start in the first quarter. But then all of a sudden, and this has happened through the first three games, in the second quarter, offense gets stagnant. Balls mm-hmm. stop moving. Defense gets affected. You're letting teams get out on you on the break, running and gunning on you left and right. Before you know it, you built the eight-point lead, but now you're down by 10-12. Now you got to play catch-up. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's a lot. And, and, and when you don't take care of those games that you're supposed to win, like the game against Washington, it costs you in the standings, because then you go back to back. You play Cleveland the next night. You get your butt handed to you. Who Cleveland beat this week? Washington and the Bulls. They two and one. Bulls yeah. one and two. You won game back off the stands because you didn't handle your business.
1: That's that's straight facts, bro. And I and, and another point that we've always harped on before, but it just becomes that much more relevant every game we watch. The Bulls do not know how to take advantage of mismatches. There's so many times where Vucevic is screening the guard and the guard is switched on him, and yet whoever the guard is that gets the ball does not throw him the ball in the paint. Like, I understand we can't preach all the time about how Vuce got to be more effective in the paint. Vuce got to be more effective in the paint. But when he gets in the paint, he don't get the ball. We have to feed him the ball. And that is something that, especially of a mismatches, should be the number one thing you should do as a point guard or guard in general. If you can't go to the bucket yourself and you see a mismatch with Vooch, scrap the play. Forget finishing the rest of the play. Your new game plan is to get vooch to reach the ball in the, play, in the paint and work through him because that should be an easy dunk or a layup, or it should draw the double teams so that way you can create the ball movement that Billy Donovan wants to have when it goes back to the wings and circles around the three other, uh, around the other side of the court which opens opportunities for the defense to shift, increase three-point shot, shooting opportunities, as well as potential driving lanes if you use the pump, the pump fake and drive to the middle of the floor or towards the baseline to make the defense shift that much, that much more. It makes the offense easier for you. And the Bulls sometimes make the, the offense game more difficult than it needs to be. If they were just to even do small things like that of mismatches, exploit them, that's another at least six, eight to ten points that the Bulls could have easily racked up, and when you compare it to the games that they just played and the margins they've won by, that's pretty much the difference of the game. Aside from the Cleveland Cavaliers game, of course, yeah. but this, this the past couple of games between the Warriors. I'm sorry, between the Wizards and the Heat. Even though they won the, against the Heat and they lost against the Wizards, those games were decided by single digits. If you just, yeah. if you just switch the offensive mode my, mentally in a high IQ basketball play to throw the ball in the paint when necessary for Boots to score, you just got yourself another eight to almost 10 points a game. And that's why Lonzo Ball himself is such a huge, it's a huge piece that's missing for this Bulls team because he would do that. He would constantly put the players in the right positions and set up the offense effectively to where mismatches can be exploited as well as setting the tone defensively, like a point guard should do. So that's what, it's, it's going to be unfortunate that we don't have that for the, long, for the current haul that we have right now. But those are small things that the Bulls can fix right now that can help change the trajectory of how these games go and maybe even a little to helping some of those, start, those slow starts that they've been having these past couple of games.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. And it's obvious that they don't. Don't have a true point guard in there that can really get them into their sets. You know, no, no disrespect to Io. I think he's grown a lot, confidence wise. I, I like that he's been more assertive, getting in guys' ear from the vets to the young guys. He's been solid for the most part, shooting the ball. But at the same time, you miss guys like Lonzo, as you said, because he can help you exploit mismatches and not only exploit mismatches, but he helps you play at a faster pace, which is yeah. something that this team has not been doing at all. And when you get that rebound, you should be seeking to push it up the break. And they're not doing that. They're not doing that at all, man. And and that's been a a, a huge issue. And that's something that they're going to have to seek to work out and resolve as the year continues to go along. But I want to move forward and move on to talk about a team in the Western Conference that's been making some noise, a team in the Western Conference who has a player who I know you predicted, To win this year's MVP award, Zion Williamson moving on from the Windy City to the Big Easy, where the New Orleans Pelicans are not only putting the league on full notice through the first couple of games, but also doing so in a dominant fashion. This is a team that did not trail a single minute through their first two games, earning wins against the Brooklyn Nets in their season opener, as well as against the Charlotte Hornets, both wins coming on the road. Big man Jonas Valanciunas has managed to hold his own, as is, is well, everybody talks about this being a big three lib behind Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and C.J. McCollum. But this guy had 30 points and 17 rebounds and a 12-point victory for the Pelicans against the Hornets to go alongside of forces with a block and a steal for the measure. And he's top five in rebounding right now. First time since 2018 that the Pelicans have started the season 2-0 oh, when they won their first four games and won each by double digits. As I said, they're ranking third overall to start the year in offensive efficiency, scoring 123.3 points per 100 possessions. What do you believe, Josh, has led to New Orleans' early success thus far? I know we talk about that big four with with Valentunis, Ingram, Williamson, and McCollum. But all in all, based off what you've seen thus far in a limited sample size, what's led to? The playoff run
1: that they had last year. When the Pelicans won in the play-in and took the Phoenix Suns to six, seven games in in the the way that they – and in close fashion in the way that they lost, you can tell they came back with a chip on their shoulder and used that experience to come up the gate running. And a lot of it, yeah, it has to do with Zion Williamson, considering he didn't play last year. Having that big piece coming back as a face of your franchise – and him coming back as strong as he is right now, that's big for the Pelicans moving forward. But the, the continued emergence of Brandon Egram, the continued support of, and veteran leadership of CJ McCollum, and to not enough credit that he gets, the leadership and head coach of Willie Green. Last year was his first year, and he took them to the playoffs, and now he's helping them take that next step. Which is the uh, in a sophomore year to help make the Pelicans not just actual playoff team to get in, but a playoff team that can make some noise and be that much more competitive. And I believe com- combining that all together, along with the strong bench moves that they have made and they currently have right now, this team is poised to be a top five team in the Western Conference if everyone can stay healthy. And the, and you're showing it by and you can just see it by the way they play offensively, how tight they are defensively. And the second unit that they have to help keep this team over the hump while the first unit continues to start the game and end the game in dramatic fashion, that together is, becoming, is putting together a beautiful masterpiece that's taking place in New Orleans, man. And that's something that I'm excited for. And I want to continue to see that and we'll see how they move moving forward. But I believe a lot of last year, aside from the fact that Zion Williamson didn't play last year, having him back and just having that extra edge, having that extra uh, chip on their shoulder, learning from their mistakes this, the, from their playoff run last year, to, to, for them to come back this season and say, yo, that last year wasn't a fluke. We coming back and we coming back harder. They're making a statement in the NBA, and I love every second of it.
0: Yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing in New Orleans, man. And I, I know everybody likes to refer to the victory as the, the key cognitive of their success, but I think it's really a big four. You know, they have an embarrassment of riches on the offensive end. Anytime you have four players that like CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and Jonas Valanciunas all putting up over nearly 20 points a night, you usually going to be in more games than you out of. Them. And they go is their talented foursome has taken them thus far. When you have a force as unique as Zion back in the paint operating who can finish with the best of them in the restricted area of the floor, you know, alongside of a guy like Ingram and McCollum who can get to their spots off the bounce and knock shots down, be it in the mid range or on a perimeter. You know, I, I, I really like what they're doing. In addition to also facilitate in the pick and roll game as well, both of them can and be high volume assist distributors. You know, you're going to be in for a long one on an opposing end. Anytime you go up against this team in the NBA, I, I think, that this is a team that's for real. But I want to ask you do, you, do you think they're for real? And if so, why? Yeah, they're for real. They're definitely
1: for real. And it's because you've got reinforcements that have been through, the thing before, been, been through the struggles before. I think last year when they added CJ McCollum at the trade deadline, really set the tone of accelerating a team that was so young and taking them to that next level, what it truly means to be a professional in the league. Um, obviously Brandon Ingram over these over these past two years has emerged himself into an all-star player and a top player of a franchise, but it's not, but he's never played with a sidekick consistently and effectively from the, from an offensive perspective, like he has with T.J. McCullough. And then now that you have that combined with bringing in Zion Williamson back fully healthy and locking him, locking him in long-term, but also grabbing the small guys we're, they, are doing a, they, they have a good job investing in what we call subpar talent. It's like a high risk, low reward. They are very good at uh, bringing those investments in. Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, those guys are, you know, they're, at the, they're at the, on the lower end of the payroll, but they have a high upside as far as fulfilling the roles that they are fulfilling when it comes to this specific team and the makeup of this team, whether it's in a starting lineup or off the bench guys like Larry Nance Jr. finding their role, fitting in, you know, to aid uh, Jonas Valanciunas in the big man department. These, they have the right chemistry built around this team, which is something they haven't had in a long time, probably since the last time they really made an actual playoff run when you had Anthony Davis, Rajon John Rondo, DeMarcus Cousins over there in, in, in New Orleans. That was a, you didn't, there, there was a certain chemistry there that helped took that team to the next level. That's the same makeup of uh, vibes that I'm getting from this current-specific team. And it shows in the way that they play on both ends of the floor. And I think also Brandon Ingram is going to be a huge factor in this because even – I forgot exactly what interview that he did, but he spoke out and – but he came out and said, all I did this summer was watch basketball. I worked on my game. I, I studied thing, yeah. film, watched basketball all game long. And that's all, and that's, and if that's not enough motivation to get you to the next level, I don't know what is. That's spoken like someone that's coming for blood this year and that wants to make a huge statement with the team that in the current makeup that it is. And having those, having some rough riders with them now, that's going to be, the, I, they are, they are for real a legit team this season, a team that the, really the West, the league, not just the league in general, but specifically the Western Conference, they should be looking out for.
0: I think the Pelicans are for real. However, I think it depends on two factors. First and foremost is health. You know, last night we had we, we a chance to see them play against the Utah Jazz for those who have league pass, and that was a hell of a game. Yep. But it came at a cost. Brandon Ingram took a tough blow to the head, currently a concussion protocol. The team just announced about a few hours ago, and he won't be playing in – Tuesday night showdown against the Dallas Mavericks, which was a highly anticipated game on TNT that'll be airing this week. He He's out. Zion Williamson went up for a dunk last night on a fast break attempt. Jordan Clarkson got the block clean. Kinda looked dirty from like when it, early, like on, on the early clips, but when you like, when they slowed it down on the replay mode, you could tell he got all ball, but he took a rough fall was diagnosed with a hip contusion. His status is in question. Herb Jones has been battling knee soreness. This is a team that's always dealing with the injury bug. I do believe Brandon Ingram will be, you know, good to go, hopefully, come time for at least by the end of this week, once they play Phoenix in another nationally televised game on ESPN. That's going to be a big-time game later on this week. But health with this team has always been a red flag. I do think they for real, as long as they're healthy. Another thing that concerns me as well, just taking some time to watch this team throughout the week, leading up to the show, you talk about the defensive end. Now in the playoffs, the defense was there. That defense did cause havoc. But they got to be more consistent on the defensive end. And last night, you know, there were some times, man, where I was watching Zion. He was getting lost in space. He was letting guys back-cut on him left and right. Kelly Olenek in particular late in the yeah. first half where he just was like completely aloof. And C.J. McCollum and Larry Nash were talking about offensively, we know that we can compete with anybody. We got four guys that's capable of putting up 20-plus each and every night. That's going to give us a chance alone. But defensively is where they're going to have to make their mark more consistent. And they let Utah score 67 points on them In the second and third quarter combined, they scored 67 points in the middle quarters of the game. Mm. And to me, that was the biggest difference in the game, man. You know, you got to find a way to stay connected and communicate at that end of the floor. And I think things changed for them late last night when they went with a small lineup after Zion got hurt. They had Alvarado, McCollum, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and Larry Nance Jr. And they decided to switch everything. Once they did that and and started using their size and stayed active and contesting shots, they started to get back in their game. They only allowed nine points in the final eight minutes of regulation. If they can do that more consistently and Zion is able to at least make his impact on the glass, which is something that Larry Nance was talking about in his post-game press conference, that will be key because Zion's going to have to make a choice. He's either going to be A solid defender or a rebounder. I don't know if the defense is going to come right away because he just missed a year of time due to suffering that Jones fracture in his right foot. But if he could give them some contributions on the glass and that team around him with the pieces that they have, because they got length, they got size and guys to defend, but they have to do it more so consistently. That's going to determine whether or not this team can possibly go from first round, to semifinal round and forward. I think this group has a chance to do even more than what Anthony Davis and Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins group did just off the simple fact that this group is going to get a chance to grow together. They caught lightning in a bottle rather fast. And they really never got a chance to see how far that group could go as Boogie got hurt towards Achilles. You know, we all know what happened after that. So even though they did upset Portland in round one that year, in 17, 18. So I, I, I like this group. I think that they are for real, but it depends on health, and it depends on defense. That to me is going to be the that to me is going to be the two biggest things that determine truly how far this group goes um, moving forward.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, those are definitely valid points, and I think what makes what gives me the confidence that that can happen is because of the provision of veteran leadership that is there on that roster, which was absent for a long time. Um, since that last playoff team. But at the same time, Willie Green is a defensive coach. He knows that. That was his niche when he played in the league, was so he was being able to shoot the three when necessary, but also be a defensive stopper. And knowing that that was his niche, and especially with him coming from the Phoenix Suns, who went to the NBA Finals through defense before he became the head coach of the Pelicans, he knows what it's like to put together uh, the defensive schemes, and get the dogs necessary to play consistent basketball on a defensive end. So I think he, he, he has to post in that locker room right now. And I think because of the fact that he has that post, it'll be enough for the players to listen and understand the importance of the defensive end in ways, like you just mentioned, from a consistency perspective. And like you said, that combined with health, I think that'll give them time to switch those things around. And they're going to make even more, like you said, even more noise than they had in the, within the 2017-2018 playoff run that they did have. But I'm confident that they can't push that thing around because just the impact that Willie Green brings alone to this team, especially on the defensive end, and having little, you know, scrapping guys like Jose Alvarado like a, being a little fly on the wall that's like a, like a mosquito coming all over you in the <laughs> summertime. Like, <laughs> having that presence there on your defense is what you need to help get things to the next level and to take that next level. And I think the I think I mean the New Orleans Pelicans. I think they really do have a chance to turn things around with that.
0: Oh, for sure. I'm not saying that they can't do it. I mean, they they showed it last night, that fourth quarter, behind that sellout crowd, when when they were making that run, that they could do it. And Jose Alvarado, we know just what he did alone on Chris Paul, last year in round one. That you know he he's gonna cause havoc, you know, and be like a mini Pat Bev out there, if you will, and he's gonna knock down. You know, catch and shoot threes for you. I like this group. I like this group a hell of a lot. It's just a matter of doing it consistently. And anytime the players in the locker room are saying it and they know it, to me that speaks volumes. Because last night that was a game that if you really want to show how elite you are, you got to close. And no yeah. disrespect to Utah. Utah shocking a lot of people right now. And they've yep. been one of the <laughs> biggest surprises for this season. Because Danny Ainge Plan is not going according to plan. There, you know, for Victor Wembanyama, um, they 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 gonna win Bayomis, excuse me. Like they, they, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're not just gonna tank with these guys. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, if they if they do seek to the tank, they are gonna have to get rid of some pieces, but they just gotta do, they just gotta play defense like that more consistently, man. The way they did that fourth fourth quarter and overtime period, if they really want to be a major player out in the West, to me, I mean. I, I like this team a lot, but it's going to come down to that, and it's going to come down to hell.:
1: Yep, I, I completely agree. And I also agree with the fact that at the end of the day, uh, Danny is going to be making some more news because he's going to finesse the heck out of the L.A. Lakers and get Russ and get, and get the picks that he needs so that way he can maybe be involved in the, in the big Victor the sweet stakes, man, because that's one of the calling cards Lakers potentially have to get rid of Russ. And if they want to go for it, I'll take Jordan Clarkson going back to the L.A. Lakers, even though I don't think he wants to. But <laughs> I'll take that if I'm the Lakers. That's better than anything than what you're getting right now, man. So,
0: I don't know. going might be winning later on down the line, too. We'll see. Oh, he, 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 he definitely winning either way. I mean, he, he <laughs> can ride this out or for some playoff money or, you know, he could get rid of pieces. But, but figuring what the plan is, I, I definitely think he's going to do the latter as opposed to the former. He getting rid of some pieces, but, man, Utah, they they, they putting a wrinkle in a lot of people's uh, plans, man, because I, I sure as hell didn't see them doing what they did last night. <laughs> they For, really?
1: never... For real, they are making Laurie Markman look like an all-star. I'm like, dang.
0: <laughs>
1: we <laughs> ain't got rid of him, and he go over here flourishing in freaking Utah, going nuts. Like, hey, that's it's, 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 everything's about fitting situation, but At the same time, Dan Hayes knows what he's doing up there. He knows what he's doing up there. So that's something that we clearly, like you said, we underestimated this was going to happen. But they clearly changed changed the narrative right now.
0: Carrying on from a young upstart team in the Western Conference back over to the East, where a team that entered the season with extremely high expectations has fallen short of meeting them through their first three games of the year out in the city of brotherly love. Despite sharing a starting, excuse me, this season out against the last two franchises to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals, the Philadelphia 76ers have yet to garner a win through the first three games of the year and stand beside the Orlando Magic as the only team in the conference yet to capture one yet on the young 22 23 season, falling in embarrassing fashion by nine points this past weekend at home against the San Antonio Spurs. As many are beginning to wonder if the team led behind all-star center Joel Embiid, Dane Harden, and Tyrese Maxson as what it takes to truly guide the Sixers on a deep playoff run in the months to come. Shortly after the Sixers lost to the Spurs, Philadelphia head coach Doc Rivers brought it up to the media saying that Joel Embiid has been dealing with plantar fasciitis or have been dealing with plantar fasciitis in his foot over the past couple of months that forced him to sit for like significant duration of the latter portion of the summer and leading many to wonder if maybe the big man's recent struggles have been due to it as he's been shooting only 38.5% from the field through the first two games and averaging five turnovers within that time span while appearing to be a step behind on the defensive end for the Sixers as well. So I got to ask you, Josh, with all of that said, how concerned are you about the Sixers' slow start to the season? As I said, this is the only team in basketball, as it is recorded, outside of the Orlando Magic that has yet to win a game in the Eastern Conference. I mean, Philly does have
1: James Harden, right? They do. OK, so they, they got James Harden. Um, they, they do have Joel Embiid, you know, playing and scratch the play in the lineup, right? They do. OK, OK. <laughs> um, um, and they do have, you know, another guy who's emerging, like you said, in Tyrese Maxey. He's playing, you know, right? Come up that second unit, right? OK. Yes. Oh, OK. And they do got a Hall of Fame head coach and champion head coach in Doc Rivers, right?
0: Yeah, but we're we going to get into him. Right, 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 okay. We're going to okay. get into him.
1: <laughs> okay, so at least there's a, at least there's you, a qualification. Right. At least there's a qualification that this brother can coach. Okay, all right, cool, cool. And uh, you can't win a game? Okay, here's the problem. This the, is this the problem. Joel Embiid, as much and talented as he is, bro ain't got no dog in him. That's really what it boils down to. He doesn't have the dog in him. He got the skills, but he doesn't have the dog. Because the only way Philadelphia is going to win is if they go through him every time and he leads every game with 20 and 10 plus, period. That's the only way they're going to make this thing move. Because you already tried with James Harden. Look where he got you. Nowhere. As much as James Harden is skilled and great as he is, he is not the person that can carry your team to the finals. He can't do that. And offensively, you have not just and James Harden, Arguably going be the top big man in the league. Runner of an MVP for two straight years. And you can't run an offense through him? You can't have him dominate the game when he needs to dominate the game? Like That's a combination of things that's screaming, that's yikes. They ain't, no, they ain't no brotherly love over there. It's a lot of bloody hell going on over there. Because I don't, because as great as, like I said, as, James, as great as James Harden is, man, you're not going nowhere without Joel Embiid leading the front. And yeah, Joel Embiid may be hurt. Okay, great. I, we understand that he's hurt. He's dealing with some issues as well. Great. You're in season, you're in game three of 82. You got a whole season to go. You can't figure out this planted--
0: and situation now. You're just now trying to figure this out. Well, it I, I want to be clear. I want to be clear on that. Doc bought that up. He bought that to the media right. following the loss of the Spurs. He said that he's had a habit of it lingering around. And he said, and then he then went on to add that he kept him shut down for two months, leading up to the start of training camp. So this, never, this news never hit the public until right. this past Saturday night after the loss of the Spurs.
1: Okay. Great. Thank you for clearing that up. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's the fact that, this, that, that dude, he, he messed up anyways. Like, that, you can't make excuses for your superstar player when, at the end of the day, he scheduled to play. I understand that there's some issues injury-wise going on everything, but if you schedule to play, you schedule to play. So if you are playing, we have expectations to perform, for you to perform at an elite level. And each of the three games that have been played, it had, except for maybe the first game of the season, James Harden and Joel Embiid have not played elite together on the court at the same time yet. It hasn't happened yet. And luckily you have a guy like Tyrese Maxey coming off your bench. He's he's doing his thing. He's keeping things afloat. That's a given. But Philadelphia ain't going nowhere without Joel Embiid leading the front. And I can't have him giving me bare minimum, knowing that you you were the runner up for MVP two years in a row. Averaging twenty five plus and almost fifteen rebounds a game.
0: I need that every night. So, so be, so, so be straight up with me, Josh. How concerned are you? There? Is it time to panic yet? Let's put. I, I want to say panic. I'm not gonna panic. I'm. I, hey, I, I'm. I'm just. I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna panic per se. Okay. But hell, you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> James Harden, you left Houston to get out of trouble. Guess what? You in trouble again, because you, you 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 try to set the stage. You came in healthy this year. You came in shape. You came in ready to roll. New mentality. You know, new new city, new me. Full opportunity. Took less money too. Took less money to say, cause you want to win a championship. I need y'all to come together and put this thing together, brother. Now, some of this is on Doc Rivers too, cause. Doc Rivers is a coach, we know sometimes it's very stubborn, doesn't always bring, doesn't always make the right adjustments when it need to be adjusted. You know, so there's there's some kinks with that too. And it doesn't help that you're making excuses on your and saying, oh, my star player got X, Y, and Z. Okay, great. You're an NBA champion. You're an NBA, you're an NBA champion head coach that has coached superstars before. So therefore, where's your coaching? Because, because clearly, if you can't, you you have to find different ways to win games. If James Harden and Joel Embiid can't come together and both give you twenty plus on the twenty plus, and if from officially perspective, as well as James Harden get close to ten assists a game and Joel Embiid getting ten plus ten plus rebounds a game, if that don't happen, y'all not going nowhere.
0: I'm gonna say this on the issue, man. Um, Speaking for myself, I'm not as concerned just yet. And I don't, and I don't think it's time to panic, because if I'm not mistaken, there was a team last year that was under 500 after New Year's, who ended up running the East, and went from a, a team that was on the verge of, a, of being in the plan or out of the plan, depending on the day, to a top three seed in the conference and winning the conference, and that was the Boston Celtics. You're so right. championships are not won in November. In December, they won over the course of a season. So I'm not panicking just yet. However, I am concerned to a slight degree because I'm seeing a team that is playing far too slow on the offensive end and not establishing pace. And this was something that Doc Rivers talked about as well following the loss to the Spurs. I also see a team that is being very complacent. A team yep. that P.J. Tucker had to address and talk about this issue with is a newcomer on the team saying, hey, we can't take teams lightly. Like, I understand San Antonio is in a rebuilding mode right now. San Antonio is in a Victor suite state, like Utah anticipated to be. They're going to be in that. Those are teams that you have to handle. But the pace isn't right at all, man. And there are times where they're playing far too slow. A lot of isolation ball being played. And guys are just, as a result of that, with Harden and B, guys are just standing around. P.J. Tucker's job is to be a corner three-point specialist. What is he to do when the ball and the wealth isn't being spread around? I think Joel and James have to learn how to play off of one another. Still, mm-hmm. I think they also have to continue to learn how to trust one another. It started off that first week they played together following the trade when James came from Brooklyn in the Vince Simmons deal. Everything was working very well. Mm-hmm. It was smooth. But it was more movement being predicated, more pick and roll involved. James is having is gonna have to learn how to pick and choose his spots on when and where to attack defenses and when and where to be the conductor that Philadelphia needs him to be. But there are far too many times where this team looks very, very slow and they're not playing with any up tempo speed or, or or an an attack. And I think it's really it, it, it's it's bad, man. It, it, it's bad and and it's hampering. It's hampering the offensive flow in a lot of ways. And when Tyrese comes into the game, Maxi, when Tyrese Maxi comes into the game, you notice they go on runs. And I, and I think there's a reason for that. they play much faster. Yep. When, as soon as soon a rebound comes, you know Tyrese leaking out. If James yep. going to get it, outlet. We're going to get it. to that's two points. They don't do that with Joel in the game.
1: No, they don't. But uh you know who else is not assistant to? Uh the player that they got that got a max contract from the 76ers and Tobias Harris. What can, can someone tell me why in the world this brother got a max contract? Can I, I you could have gave me that max money for doing what he's doing on the court right now? I could have been took that. Like <laughs> put me in the game, coach. Let's go to work. Because to, Tobias Harris Harris already already questionable, especially this go around as a max player. Right, you can already question if he was really worth being a max player this go this this, this current go around, but now he's not even he's not even living up, to, living up to the expectations that he had even before he got to Philly. Like, like we thought, thought that with Doc Rivers coming to Philadelphia, oh, he can revive Tobias Harris of the Clipper era where he, where he was averaging 20, where he was really took that, that leap in his game and was the best player in the Clippers, and all that. Now, I just feel like I just saw this dude. Trying get into his little turtle shell and trying to float in, float in on sand. Like, bro, you got to, you you got to find a way to come out your shell now. Cause just because you're playing with Joel Embiid and James Harden, clearly you you are like it's, it's like I look at Tobias Harris pretty much like we're looking at Patrick Williams in similar fashions. You got to find your spots and find that niche to crack open this starting lineup and get to work because you're playing amongst the best of the best now and. He has failed to do that, honestly, since Jimmy Butler was in town. That was the last time he had a good run in Philly. And now that Jimmy's gone, he's
0: been non-existent. He's been MIA. That's when he first arrived in Philly, from from the Clippers trade. So I I know what you're talking about. I I think he had a nice run during Doc's first season, too, in Philadelphia, for like a, a stretch, a mini stretch there. but. I think it's tougher for him now because he went from being the second option in the offense and getting the second most touches in the offense to now he the fourth option. And now he's playing more off the ball than he's ever played. When he was in Orlando getting his 20th game, hey, he had the ball in his hand. Detroit, he had the ball in his hand. L.A. with Doc, he had the ball in his hand. Back then, they didn't even really have a point guard, a traditional point guard, so to speak. So he was doing everything from scoring to playmaking and, and, and operating out of DHOs and in a pick and roll game. So it's, it's different. And I do think he has to find his niche there. He, he definitely got to step up. But what's that is very telling to me? And it, it goes back to the point that I was talking about with you with this team playing so slow. They played in transition just 11 percent of the time, according to cleaning the glass, which is the worst mark in the Eastern Conference. 85.8 percent of the Sixers' plays through the first three games of the year have come in the half court, <laughs> and they sit last in, in pace among all 30 teams. So I mean, that that tells you everything, and then. They, they get, ve- they're very sloppy. They turn the ball over. And and, and then far too many times, I counted at least several times just watching the game between the Celtics and the Bucks when they are operating in half court. They're not able to get a shot off until it's like six seconds or less than the shot clock. Yeah. That's a problem, too. That's why a lot of the turnovers is happening. Exactly.
1: But who's the one dribbling the ball for about 18 of those seconds before they even get a chance? Yeah. That's James Harden. yeah. So, so, that, so it goes back to that. When, so, when, so when you mentioned that, it goes back to your original point about how Harden needs to find, his spot, find, find and choose his spots. Because if you're asking James Harden to be point guard, the way Doc is having him play right now, you can't ask him to play like Houston James Harden because Houston James Harden, was in a different offensive system. He was the offense, and the pace was so much quicker. Yeah. Now you're playing, and now you're playing in Philadelphia, where he's not the main guy. And on top of that, you're asking him to play high volume, be a high volume shooting and scorer, while also trying to dish off seven, roughly six, seven assists a game, which more more- I, or more than that, at least right. So he, it can be done, but. Let's be very serious. Like you said, in order for that to happen, you got to change the pace. You got to change the offense to get that type of effect of James Harden, which led to an MVP James Harden. You got to change the pace with that. And like and right now, they, they slow as molasses, man. Like, I, 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 it's, 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 it's bad. They slow as molasses. Like you said, they turn the ball over. It's like taking candy from a baby.
0: So I got to ask you straight up, man. Doc Rivers, Chicago guy, you know, Maywood's on. Yeah, buddy. Do you, do you believe that he may be on the high seat? My Proviso
1: East 708 area code Maywood brother, <laughs> he ain't going nowhere, man. And the reason why he ain't going nowhere is because of his status. He, 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 everyone loves him. He, he, he has a proven record of being a multiple playoff um, contenders winning championships, going to the finals on more than one occasion. The resume speaks for itself. So at this point, no, I don't think he's going anywhere. Players love playing for him. The only reason why he really left the Clippers was because he couldn't do two roles. And and they said, you know what, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere and a lot of ways I can just focus on coaching. And Philly was the place for him. So I don't think he's going anywhere. But just like just like we questioned Billy Donovan with the Bulls and his offensive schemes and his lack of ability at times to adjust when he needs to adjust and making the right adjustments, not just adjusting just because. Doc Rivers is in that same category. And if he doesn't make the adjustments that he needs, his, more, his critiques are more in the playoffs. But if it's happening early and early in the season and nothing's changing, there's some, there's some problems in discussions discussion I need to be having to say to your brotherly love, man. Ain't going to be no brotherly love when you come to that, when, when no one's winning. So you got to, there's some question marks that's going to be held on to him too. I don't think he'll get fired or anything or be on a hot seat, but there's some questions that's going to have to be asked if this, if this continues to go.
0: I think there are already are some questions being asked, especially in a hot media market like Philadelphia right now. I mean, I know the Phillies are in the World Series. I know the Eagles, you know, are undefeated. The Flyers and the NHL are doing their thing as well. So that's kind of alleviating some pressure off the Sixers a bit, but I I do believe that Doc is on the hot seat or shall I say under surveillance because while I don't believe he will get fired in the middle of the season, I think he has too much respect around the league and and, and from Daryl Morey, the president of basketball operations in Philly. I'm telling you, man, if, if this continues... Because it's not getting any easier for them. It's not getting any easier at all. I think they're last in points per game. I think they're also, like, dead to last, if not, like, they're 29th or 30th in assists per game, too. And I'm trying to pull up their schedule right now because this is going to tell us a lot. Like, they got Toronto twice this week. They got games against Atlanta coming up, Brooklyn. It's not getting any easier for them. Nah. And we just talked about that with the Bulls. Like, this Eastern this, this Conference, man, is no cakewalk. Like, I'm looking I'm looking at Philly's schedule over the next several games. They got Toronto the next two games. They got the Bulls this weekend on the road here in Chicago. Washington, back-to-back games with Washington, home and home series. New York, that's not going to be a push-up game. Phoenix, and then Atlanta. Like, that, man, they got their work cut out, man. It's just plain and simple. They got their work cut out. They're going to have to do something.
1: Well, uh, my illustrious co-host, let me ask you this question. Sure. Before we move on, yeah, I'll answer. If Doc Rivers doesn't make it past next year, should we automatically put the right in for Mike D'Antoni to take over?
0: Ooh. I thought about that during the playoffs, to be honest with you, because I thought I thought Doc kind of escaped the fire after losing to Miami the way that they did. I I, I, I yeah, that, that can happen. That can happen. Because the Houston conglomerate already there. You know, Tad Brown came from Houston, was the former president of the Rockets and now the president of the Sixers um organization. You got Daryl over there, Daryl Barhart over there, PJ Tucker, Daniel House. You know he he has the Houston conglomerate there. Yeah, I I, I could see that, and, and and knowing a guy like Mike D'Antoni, he's an opportunity. You know, like he he's waiting around for a reason. There's a reason why he hasn't coached in a couple of years. He's waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, I, I could see I could see that if Doc was to get axed out of Philly, Mike D'Antoni taking over. I could also see. Maybe the Sixers reaching out to former Villanova head coach, Jay Wright. Ooh, I can see that too. Do I think he wants to coach in, at the professional level? I don't believe so. And I think it's going to take a lot to entice him to leave a, a TV deal with CBS that he just signed on right. um, this past week. But yeah, I, I, I can see them reaching out to Jay Wright and, and Mike D'Antoni being their two leading candidates, to be honest, for that job. I can see that.
1: Jay, Jay Wright's going to be interesting. I, I, I can definitely see Mike Dan sort of, but Jay Wright's going to be interesting, you know, because seeing him up close, um, the guys respect him, uh, teams respect the college, college players. He set a solid program yeah. of what it means to succeed at the highest level. And um, I think – and he's a developer of men. I'll put it yeah. that way. He's a developer of men. So I think he'll be a great idea, per se, when it comes to coaching in the NBA and he already has professional experience from his time with team USA coaching the best of the best on the, in those metal games that he has with coach K at the, at, at the helm. But yeah, like you said, to be a full-time head coach. And, and I don't know if he has it in him in a way like John Calipari did when he coached in the NBA. I don't know if he has that.
0: I don't think anybody does, but one thing I do know, if you think about it, among the guys in the college ranks, his name has always came up the NBA jobs, same yeah. with Tom Izzo. So I, I don't expect that to change, even with Day Wright being out the game. He's well-respected. You know, you think about the players that he's produced in the league that's doing a thing right now, Mikal Bridges, Jalen um, Brunson, Brunson? Yeah. You know, Eric Pascal a couple years ago. Like, he has guys that done their thing in the league, man, and, and done fairly well. Kyle Lowry, can't forget about Kyle Lowry being a Villanova guy as well. So, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a name people got to watch out for. But I want to move along. You know, we still in the midst of NBA opening week. What has impressed you the most? What, what teams have or which players have impressed you the most thus far through the first three to four games? Still a lot of basketball left to be played. But what's, what stood out and caught you out, man?
1: I mean, when you were talking about team-wise, I think we already mentioned them already in the Utah Jazz. I expect, no, I expect them to go undefeated 3-0 in the fashion that they did, man. That's a, that's a pretty impressive start they got going over there. So get much credit to, um, I forgot the name of their, of their first-year head coach. Will Hardy. Will Hardy, man. Yeah. He's, doing, he's doing his thing over there with those young, with those young guys over there and, hope, and keeping the games competitive for them to stay in and win. Even though, like you said, we may we may see them blow up the team uh, by trade deadline if things you know uh, go a certain way, but um, that's the team that stood out to me from a player perspective. Is there anybody hotter in the NBA right now than Jason Tatum? That brother right there. (laughs) Oh, he coming for he's taking everybody's cookies at the lunch table. Like that dude is out here. He's coming out there to be a menace. He's killing. And you can tell he has a fire inside of him from the way they went out against Golden State. He, he, saw, he felt a championship slip out of his hands. They were up against the Golden State Warriors and they let them come right back and win in dramatic fashion. So I think him, you know, coming and take things to that next level, knowing that Jalen Brown is bringing what he's bringing to the table, bringing his, bringing his set to the table, creating a dynamic duo where they're averaging like 60 points a game right now because combine the two. That's nasty, and that's hard to defend. And, you know, clearly it's impacted the, to the Boston Celtics to make the start that they did. So I think those are the, those are the uh, things for me that have stood out a lot um, as we start this NBA season, man.
0: For me, I, uh, as far as players go, I've been impressed with Paul George. You know, the performance he put together on Saturday night this past weekend in Sacramento without Kawhi Leonard without John Wall it was one of the best performances I've seen from him in a long time. You know, yeah. he was seeking to be very aggressive. He was getting out on the, on the block, taking advantage of the mismatches that he drew, um, making things happen off the dribble. They they needed they needed that game to get off on a good foot after everything that transpired last year with injuries, getting off to a slow start and to wake up the injuries. They needed that. And Paul George, to me, prior to getting hurt last season was playing like a top five small fold in the league. And we know, you know, in spite of his playoff struggles, when we look at the talent, we know that Paul George is a talent in this league is a top 10 player in the league. Off of just talent alone. And I think he's showcasing that through the first week of the season to put up 40 points the way he did. That was impressive. As far as um, teams, I gotta say that I'm impressed the most with the Boston Celtics, and I tell you why. Not just with Jason Tatum and Daylon Brown, but what Joe Mazzulla has managed to do mm. in the wake of everything that transpired with the Ime Udoka situation.
1: Right. You know, this
0: was a guy five days before a training camp was thrown into the role of interim head coach. He's done a hell of a job. He has these guys playing at the same level that they did defensively a season ago. He hasn't tried to switch up too much or do too many things to oversimplify the offense. He has those guys playing like a well-oiled machine, which is a lot when you think about the fact that he was thrown into the fire days before training camp to be the interim head coach. And oh, by the way, he's the youngest head coach in the league. He's 35 years old, you know, and uh, if he continues to keep this up, I don't know if that interim tag may come off in Boston, they're gonna be some teams that's looking around if it does, and the Celtics say they don't want him. Like they, they, may have to, they may have to consider giving that dude a deal if they could keep on playing the way that they have. And of course, Utah Jazz man, uh, what Will Hardy's been able to do to come back on the road, down 17 the way they did against Minnesota, and then lose a 17 point lead last night against the New Orleans Pelicans and find a way to still win the game. Uh, that team has been moving the ball very well. Ball movement has been superb. Defensively, getting big-time contributions from Walker Kessler, the rookie that they acquired in the Memphis trade on draft night and Lowry marketing, man. What, what more can I say about the guy? The guy's looking like not only a most improved player candidate right now, he's looking like an all-star. He's getting it done off the dribble. You know, he, he he's making things happen, man. I, I, I want to see how long they're going to keep that up. You know, because they, they had the perfect first week of the season for a team that no one was expecting to do anything. And they beat all three. Uh, the three teams that they beat were all teams that went to the playoffs last year. The Nuggets, the Wolves, and the Pelicans. So they they not just beating those scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's definitely true, man. And I think another team that we should highlight is Portland. I mean... Yeah. Way, the way they, the way Dame Dallin they came out and start sniping these dudes, along with the emergence of Anthony Simmons and Shady Sharp. Oh man, they got something cooking over there. They got something cooking over there that's working for Chauncey Billups, and I'm glad they built a roster that around what Chauncey Billups is trying to do with the offensively with Damian Lillard, and having a healthy Damian Lillard definitely makes a difference. But Damian, that that team in Portland, they may not, I don't have them going deep uh, in the, in the Western Conference or anything like that, but. They definitely gonna make. They definitely gonna keep these, keep these games competitive. So for them to come out with a strong undefeated start, the way that they have, yeah, that 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 impressed me. And combining that and combining that with from another player perspective, John Moran is special. And that dude has come out with forty and almost fifty point games, and we just started week one. I'm a man. I'm he, we and we know he won Most Improved Player of the Year last year. It seemed like he's just taking even another step this year, and if he continues to emerge at this rate, Memphis is going to be much tougher to much tougher to handle compared to last year, which is what almost it's pretty much almost wiped the Warriors out. So that's that's something that I'm, that's, that caught my eye as well, and something that I really want to pay attention to as the season continues.
0: Yeah, the stars the stars have shown up, the rookies have shown up, but I got to ask you, you know, before we close, as we get into the closing, you know, minutes of the show. Big-time games, as always. What games should fans have their eyes on, man? You know, whether on NBA League Pass or just the national schedule, what games should they be watching um, throughout this week across the association? Woo, good
1: question, my brother. Good question, my brother. Let me pull up the schedule real quick and and, and see what type of games are going to be available, even if it is on the national stage. Oh, man. When you look at Tuesday... Um, actually, when you, yeah, when you look at Tuesday's matchups, I've been recording this on a Monday, Woo wee that Golden State Phoenix game does look real nice, don't it? Like, that's yeah. it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, of course, of course, that's yeah.
0: the Western Conference Finals we thought we were going to get last year. Exactly, man. That's a,
1: I'm looking forward to seeing what that what, what that game is going to be like. And as we continue just to scroll through and, and look at the games coming up uh, throughout uh, later on this week, you have, you have, at least you have, um, ooh, I'm gonna make sure I got this right. You do have Brooklyn and Milwaukee coming up on Wednesday, primetime. Yeah. You have, ooh, a rematch of last year's playoff run, New Orleans and Phoenix on Friday. Yep. Yeah. That's gonna be good. That's definitely gonna be a good one to watch. And, for the people that want to watch some, uh, some weekend basketball, you know, we can't forget that, we you know, that Sunday and the weekends is college football in the NFL, but I'm going to watch the Philadelphia 76ers against the Chicago Bulls on Saturday, just to see if the Philadelphia Sixers are going to flip things around and come out shining in a windy city. Like we know James Harden and Joel Embiid have a tendency to do against us, against the Bulls, especially Joel Embiid. I wonder if he's going to drop another 50 piece on Vooch. I got to check and think that's going to happen. So, uh, those are definitely the games
0: for me then I'm gonna pay attention that I'm going to pay attention to. I got a lot of games, man. Um, I always, <laughs> always check the schedule at the top of the week myself. But this weekend, I got a game for every day from Friday through Sunday. Cavs at Celtics, 6.30 in mm. Central Town on Friday. If you got a lead pass, you got to check that out. Donovan Mitchell going up against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The stars, you know, the stars going to be out in Boston. Hopefully, you know, Darius Garland can can get back right after having that, suffering that eye injury that he had uh, in the the season opener against Toronto. If he could get back in there in time for that one, that's going to be a um, big time affair. Eastern Conference Finals rematch from 2021 in Milwaukee on Saturday night. Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, that new look Hawks backcourt going up against Milwaukee with Drew Holiday and Giannis. On Saturday night at 7 p.m., I'm gonna be doing a lot of flip-flopping between that and Bulls and Sixers. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and like, like you said, I know it's football season. I know it's college football going down, you know, NFL going down, but the NFL product ain't been up to part two tough lately for me. So if I see a game in the afternoon that ain't that ain't right, I'm checking out Pelicans and Clippers, man, on Sunday. Yeah. At 2 p.m. Central time. You know, the Pelicans got a nice little West Coast road trip going up against Phoenix and L.A. Phoenix that Friday night as you brought up the ESPN game. But then going against the Clippers on Sunday, man, that's going to be a big time game. And that's a rematch of the playing game from last year to determine the win of the A-C. Paul George didn't get a chance to play that that game because he got sick. Kawhi back. John Wall back. New little quick Clipper squad. Hopefully – Hopefully, Brandon Ingram clears concussion protocol soon. Right. If we need him back for that game, that's going to be a big-time game. Hopefully, Zion is able to be healthy and ready to go for that one as well. So, I, I would really love to see that game as well because I'm telling you right now, if these NFL games ain't hitting up the park, I'm taking out that Pelicans and Clippers showdown.
1: <laughs> I'm go, I'll even go all the way up until uh, Sunday Night Football, brother, because even though you know, it may not be the games, of the the games from a uh, from a team great team this perspective to watch. There's some there's some, you, t- you we talk about Phoenix a lot. They got a game Sunday night against the uh, the Houston Rockets. That backcourt with be Jalen it. Green, yeah. Jalen Green is the real deal with him and KJ Porter or Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, ooh wee, that might be some stars to start. That may, and there may be some Rockets to, uh, to to launch into the stars, man, when they playing against the Sun, brother. That, the the whole universe is gonna be popping that night, so I gotta see what's <laughs> gonna be. I gotta see what that what what, what, what might go down. Uh, you know, in the, behind the scenes with that man.
0: Indeed, indeed. Just want to let everybody know you all can check us out on the social media pages at War Media, across the YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Make sure you can follow us as well if you would like to, at Josh M Hicks Media. On the Twitter, you can follow myself at what Gabe said. Anything you got to plug, Josh? You know, I know you've been doing some excellent work with the Bigs. Anything you got going on, writing, working on?
1: Oh man, just watching the Bulls games. Uh, continuing, we got we got um the Bigs got a, po- a podcast um that we that we bringing that they're bringing back up. First episode's already dropped. Um, hopefully we, we, that might be a weekly thing. So if that comes back around, we're definitely gonna plug that. All right. but, just, you know, but just in the meantime, man, just continuing to follow up on the Bulls and, and stuff around the league in general, man. You never know what's going to happen. So we're, gonna, so we're definitely going to keep you guys posted on all that.
0: For sure. And definitely make sure to you know, check out all the other shows on One Media's platform as well. You know, Saul Rodriguez and Miles Porter on the Ed podcast. Definitely got to plug that. Saul doing incredible work on the production tip with us. Um, Want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening in to yet another Episode of War Media's Open Run for myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.